Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie's listening. Welcome back to We Know What You Did. It makes us sick. We're going to tell. I'm Christy Gomez. I'm Summer Moran. And Summer, it feels like it has been months, years since we recorded a week ago. Um, we've ago. lived many lives, I feel. It's what, what we was do. Your... We're like... Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> what was my... What was your moment of desperation in this last week? My moment of desperation uh, is the current one we're in, because today is my daughter's birthday. She's mm. three years old. And I cannot fathom the fact that I have a three-year-old. For those who don't know, my daughter is a cat. Her name is Blanche. Um, I don't want to spread any misinformation, make people think I have a human child, because that is not happening. Never. Um, so my my daughter Blanche is, in fact, of the female feline persuasion. And she's the light of my life. But I, I don't understand how I can have a three-year-old when I myself... It's children raising children. Um, you're basically, a t yeah, you're a teen mom. That's crazy. I'm basically a teen mom. And I don't know if you know this, but cat ears are kind of different from human ears. So technically I have like a 30 year old. That's, I can't believe your child is older than you. That's crazy. I know, especially considering I gave birth to her. Mm -hmm. I carried this cat for nine months and I gave birth to her <laughs> and, um, it's, it's strange because physically she's three, which is hard enough to believe, but then emotionally, mentally, spiritually, she's like 28 or 30 years old. So older right. than me and you. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy how that works. Yeah. I can't believe it's been a whole three years since we picked up Lanchester by the sea. That's why that. Yeah. Well, and, and. I couldn't have done it without you, really, because every time somebody asks, oh, why did you get a cat? When did you get a cat? I always say, my friend Christy said to me one day, you know, Summer, you should get a cat. And I said, that is not going to happen. And then the next morning I woke up and said, I'm going to get a cat. It was very impulsive. It wasn't thought about for any length of time. It just happened. It She happened to me. That's what happens. It's the, what do the TikTok teens call it now? The, the cat distribution system? Oh, I well see the cat distribution system is a little different. So there, there's a science to the cat distribution system. It's a very mysterious, mystical science, but it does exist. And that is when a cat is presented to you, not necessarily that you go looking for it. But I think that happened to you because remember we found the scammed cat on Craigslist, and then you said I'm getting a white Persian cat for under five hundred dollars. And then we found one. It was within a few hours, too. Well, it, it was, but I also spent the entire day looking. So went to Craigslist immediately because where else can you find animals for cheap under <laughs> strange circumstances? AI cat. And there there was, like, the perfect cat. And she just looked like she was pulled straight out of a magazine because she probably was. And uh, <laughs> it was located in Virginia. And I think the ad said something like, I want to, 
you know, make sure this cat gets a good home out of the state of Virginia. And at that time, my brain didn't say that doesn't make any sense. Why should we were going to drive to Virginia? Yeah. Well, I think we talked about taking Amtrak. I just remember routing out how we were going to get to Virginia to get this cat before I looked at it a little closer and realized that this cat was ripped out of Cat Fancy magazine. Right. <laughs> but it and was the it was COVID. We our brains were mush. Like we we didn't we have frontal lobes mushy. yet, and right. we were mushy COVID brained. So it's okay. I was so enamored by the picture of this cat, and nothing else really seemed to matter. Like wasn't seeing the forest for the trees. Um, with that said, once we did realize it was a scam, it was full steam ahead on finding Blanche. And she was on, I want to say, like, page 14 of a website very similar to Craigslist, but not. And she was not a scam. She had just been born, like, one month prior, and she could be picked up on the day that she turned two months old, which would have been September 25th. Blanche. <laughs> and this is a fun fact. I don't know if you even know this, but um, Blanche was named by the breeder Boots. I forgot about that. Yeah. So I'm glad I changed that. She doesn't look like a boots. She's not giving boots. <laughs> <laughs> it's not giving boots. No, my mom and um, Tofu's breeder called her, called him Snowball. And I was like, don't, that, no, he's not a it's basic so... cat. So he right. named him Tofu. <laughs> And I guarantee you, nobody else in a five-mile radius has a cat named Tofu. Definitely not. There's absolutely no way. That's a very unique name. It's highly unlikely. But that, that does bring me to the next point, which is what is your moment of desperation from this week? Does it have anything to do with Tofu? I feel like I had many in this last week. Just moments okay. ago when I had to reset the Wi-Fi as we were trying to record this podcast. Right. Um. But last week I went to go get my hair done and I was sitting in that chair for seven hours. It felt like it was from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. Oh. So I get home. I'm tired. I'm starving. I just want to lay in bed. And I get out of my car. I realize I don't have my apartment keys. And my roommate wasn't home. It's because sometimes I don't lock my door because she's, please don't rob me. But like, if she's home and like, I we're like, get robbed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if she's home, I'll just like shut the door. Right. Shows us all. I feel like that's a reference to something, but I don't know what it's from. Um, so I think maybe I was like, we were chatting as I was leaving or something. I just didn't bring my keys. So I went, I was and in my head. I was like, you know what? Like, this was a real thought I had. The cats are home. Maybe. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I really, I was, I was truly desperate. I was like, maybe like, you know, those cats who, like save their people. <laughs> Like, does not have opposable <laughs> thumbs. No, no, no. But you know, you see, you hear all these miracle stories. So I was like, maybe somehow. <laughs> so I went, I have like the code to get in my building. So I went all the way to the front. 
I got myself in. I'm, I'm standing at my front door and we leave like the shades open so the cats can look outside. I'm like banging on the window and Milo, my roommate's cat, Milo just like comes out of his room and he's just staring at me through the window. Like, what are you doing? And then that's when I realized I was like, okay, um, this might be a, <laughs> this might be a little bit of a reach. I do believe if Tofu had come out, he would have been able to get me the keys. But I was like, okay, may, maybe I I should do something else. So then I took a little walk and I got um, a $75 dinner at Erwan. And it wasn't $75, but it could have been. Hey, oh, speaking goodness. of which, look who came Look who it is. <laughs> oh, that is a sweet baby. The cat who didn't open the door for me. I love him so much. Okay, go away. Um, <laughs> so I just went and sat and got dinner at Erwan and I kept watching my roommate's location. She's just not moving. So, and she was like at like a, her job. So I was like, she'll be home soon. She just wasn't coming home. So finally I was like, what time are you going to be back? And then I just sat by the pool with my phone on 1% until she came and opened the door. Oh my goodness. What time did she eventually get home? Like 8.30, 8.45. Oh, okay. And I, so I got home at like 7.30. So it really wasn't that long, but it felt like a lifetime. In that moment, of course. Yeah, I was hungry. Yes. But thankfully, I live in a walkable neighborhood um, near Erwan. And I had many things to do. I had my car, so. Thank goodness. I know. There wasn't. You, you it was fine. A, you could have been in a real pickle there. Um, well, that, that does sound like a really intense moment of desperation but you know what you survived it just like I knew you would I did I got my organic hundred dollar dinner and I I was fine yeah I'm okay um this week we saw Ariana Grande now I'm not trying to shade any party in this situation but I cannot really fathom I can't fathom the pairing of pop icon Ariana Grande Butera and Spongebob. I think it's the effect of only straight man in the school play. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. They're on an isolated set. It, like, it's wicked. Ever, they're all gays. It's the girls and gays and Spongebob. Yes. Well, Jonathan Bailey is the perfect Fiero. I think, I think he's going to be perfect Fiero, but I, I do good. understand that she, she's not obviously going to have him as an option. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but it's, it's Galinda and Bach. Like they, they did that. I can't, I'm trying to articulate my thought right now and I can't. I wonder what, Stephen Schwartz would think of that or Gregory Maguire who wrote the original wicked novel um we'll get them on the pod we'll find out what they have to say but don't you think that would make such a good storyline if we were doing Desperate Housewives today you have this you know pop sensation falling for um well the quintessential I don't want to use any derogatory language here no, I texted. I texted you this. Ariana Grande is the most predatory divorcee in a five-block radius. 
So which housewife do you think Ariana Grande is this week? I'm saying she's an Edie. She's giving Edie. She's giving Edie. Eight days a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She is full-time clocking in Edie Britt. Right. Right. And I, I wish I could be mad at her for it, but. We can't. Oh it's just entertaining. Yeah. And like the celebrities are finally celeb they're celebritying like this is what we want we want a fun yes. scandal it's been a long time since we've had something that really unifies us as a nation yeah and and to that end actually i was standing in line for the barbie movie on the day it came out and i said to my friend we have never been this unified in recent history all right, so let's get into the episode. This week's episode is called Ah, But Underneath. So the first thing I noticed uh, was the recap had no music. Oh, I, I think they did this for the first few. I always notice this every time I rewatch it because later on we get the background music. It's just so weird to see a recap with no music. It was like, hmm, interesting. Hmm. It just feels icky to me. I don't like it. Yeah, it's it's like missing something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's missing something. I will say, so we get that intro of Gabby and, you know, um, Mary Alice is talking about how she only saw the the good that Gabby had and her clothes from Paris and her expensive jewelry, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I momentarily was like, wow, I got to start keeping up with the Joneses because Gabby looks great. Um, Although, as soon as she started trying to get John out of the house when Carlos came home early, I got such anxiety. I have seen this show several times before, and every time I still get the anxiety that Carlos is going to catch them. It's just funny because this happens many times throughout this season because when he was going out the back, I thought it was a different time. Oh, with the cleaning lady, which we'll get to. Right. When they, with the sock. So I was like, how many how many times does he almost catch him? Right. But again, like middle of the day, like how did nobody see him fly out the window naked? Nobody was looking out their windows at that moment. Like he's trimming the hedges, his butt's fully out. Yeah. I'm like, you guys live within feet of each other and nobody caught on to this. <laughs> Well, on Wisteria Lane, I realized in our last episode we didn't say Wisteria Lane one time. <laughs> the, the most observant person on Wisteria Lane is Martha Hoover. And she wasn't oh. home at that point. She was out. Oh, I think this is the only storyline that Martha Hoover does not appear in. Oh, she's here. Is she? Oh, the storyline, you mean? Yes, yes, yes. She doesn't, she's not with Gabby. If she yeah. was, like, she would have finished this, wrapped it up, thrown Gabby. <laughs> Gabby in jail by by episode two if like she would have made sure of it if the police department really wanted to catch crime criminals they would hire Martha Hoover no exactly like we hate on her but honestly like she's in she's in she's tune putting in the she work knows yeah her head is a police scanner like she knows what's going on <laughs> yeah at all times like she wakes up and she says who am I gonna who am I going to catch today? Got to catch them all. She's got a, the nose of a bloodhound. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of selling, smelling drugs, she smells neighborhood scandal. <laughs> How different are those things, really? 
I don't know if you caught on to this the way that I did, but um, I wrote the mystery setup is so good. It's so goosebumps. I wrote the music is very goosebumps. It feels very, you know, 90s, early 2000s mystery music. Mm hmm. Are you talking about when um, the women are together discussing yes. what to do with the letter? Yes. Agreed. And it's nice to see them caring about Mary Alice being dead. You know, Finally. And <laughs> it only and took like a little bit of attention. Two weeks. Like if I was Mary Alice and I had just died and I'm going to be like, I, I'm going to watch all my friends cry over me and I just <laughs> see them living their lives. I'd be like, I'm going to be haunting with Syria Lane. Do cry for me, Argentina. Come on. Do cry for me. It's Don't even think about it. Oh, no, but they do say, I wrote down, um, when they're all like, oh no, like what, what did she do? Blah, blah, blah. One of them said, how much do we really want to know about our neighbors? Right. Wasn't she your best friend? Right. That she was not just your neighbor. She was your fifth friend. And it was Brie who said that. So, <laughs> you know, and, and Brie is the one who always wants to put on this presentation of being perfect. Wouldn't you want yes. to come across as the perfect friend? Not just the perfect yeah. neighbor. Well, I guess she's just projecting because she doesn't want anybody to know what's going on in her life. Period. That's true. That's true. Because she has to go see a marriage counselor with Rex. She persuades mm. him. Or I, really, she forces him <laughs> because it seems like he does <laughs> want the divorce. And she says, absolutely not. We're going to see a marriage counselor. Again, like I do admire Brie for knowing what she wants. She has no question in mind of what her thing should be. Yeah. I wrote down um, Rex is sleeping on the couch, still disrespecting Bree and <laughs> that Bree's father, <laughs> that Bree's father has amazing intuition because she said, my right, father hated right. you. And I was like, Bree, if you're going to listen to a man, it should have been that one. Should have been. Rex is Come disrespecting Bree in his sleep. He, he literally sleeps. He goes, ah, <laughs> don't cook for me. I want saddle ranch. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And uh, yeah, speaking of Brie cooking or just cooking in general, I thought that Julie teasing Susan in the scene after was so funny. Yeah. Um, and then Susan just shoots back. Shouldn't you be making brownies for your nerdy friends? <laughs> like she, she just dragged her. For no reason. Honestly, period. That Susan's a narcissistic mother. Wait, hold on. I need to backtrack for two seconds yeah. because we we missed a key a key scene. Oh, sorry. It's um. This was like right after the mystery when they're like, I don't know what to do. It's Zach finding the stupid. I wrote Zach finds the stupid hole in the pool, and Paul is bringing in a toy chest. Like I brother brother Paul brother Paul. Why didn't you just leave it in there? I have a note that's actually for later, but I think it really works for this moment in time. I wrote, Paul doesn't do anything to keep himself from seeming creepy. No, exactly. Like, I feel he's a good man and he just doesn't want to be presented that way. I think Paul doesn't want to be perceived, which I completely understand. But at the same time, he's not, he's not trying to not seem creepy. 
I just don't understand. Like, again, I said this last week, but nobody's going to dig up your pool. Right. If anybody <laughs> did, it would be long after you moved on off of Wisteria Lane and died. And then they'd be like, oh, no, what's that? But just if you want to keep something hidden, leave it there. Right. There was no reason. But he did this to himself. He did. Polly. Polly. Why? Polly, why? I was thinking about calling him Polly, why earlier. DJ Polly, why? DJ Polly, why? Why, Paul, why? <laughs> I wrote, Susan is staring at Mike. Julie can't find the measuring cup that burned Edie's house down. And that's when she kind of shoots around and gives it to her. Right. Um, so, so Julie does ultimately convince Susan to ask Mike out because it's sort of actually Susan's moment of desperation where she just blurts it out. Julie just wants a dad. It looks like <laughs> Julie wants a dad. Where's that's not my Carl. dad? Not my dad. Um, I wrote Mike's face is so precious when Susan asks him out. I verbally went, aww. I really said that. I just love him. He can do no wrong. And he's like, he clearly likes you. And Susan's like, oh, Mike, yeah. come to my house. Well, Susan is a self-saboteur, I think. Yes, for absolute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, queen, sabotage yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Susan is somebody who thrives on not being happy she thrives on misery she thrives on the chase mm -hmm. why can't you just you know chill out she needs to take a xanax maybe yeah just relax papa zanny papa's papa's zanny and relax <laughs> um okay liza minnelli <laughs> <laughs> carlos comes home and buys gabby a present oh, and yes. She's like, thanks, I want to go to bed. And he's like, don't I get something for this? And she's like, no, you're never home. And then she says the iconic line, do you know how bored I was today? I came this close to cleaning the house. Right. Period. Honestly, same. It's such a good feminist scene because it shows Carlos believing he's entitled to something for buying, of his own volition, jewelry for Gabby. Yeah, you didn't have to do that. Right. She didn't ask for it. No. Like, you just wanted to buy her gifts? Fine. And then she just wants to go to sleep. And he's like, no. Like, I said, she he treats her like a prostitute. <gasps> That's your wife. Yes. Yes, he absolutely does. She's a feminist icon. It's true. Yeah. We should all aspire yeah. to be half as fabulous <laughs> and half as feminist. Fabulous and feminist. That's it. That's fabulous and feminist. Like, Gabby should take Brie to see the Barbie movie. <gasps> yeah. Me writing fan fiction tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Brie would have walked out of that movie and her life would have changed. Changed. She would walk like, out you know, okay, no Barbie spoilers, but at the end, after like she would talk to America Ferreira, her life would have she would change. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Brie has Barbie hair. Brie has like the perfect little like flippy Barbie hair. I think it's a good look. She is giving Barbie. She's giving, actually, no, she's not giving Barbie because she's giving, she's, she's giving everything that Barbie didn't want to be, but she's giving like family Barbie. 
Like, be who you want to be a mom, I guess. Yeah. She's giving Midge. I was going to say she, Midge. <laughs> she's discontinued. <laughs> well, um, so after Carlos and Gabby, that's when Susan sees Mike when she's digging through the trash. Okay, yes. She tries to ask him out, and then he ends up inviting her to dinner. And, like, that's a sign. Susan, just take it. He is so excited to have dinner with her, too. You can see it in his eyes. His whole face lights up. And Mm -hmm. I guess Susan's just thick, you know, as bricks, because she's still not understanding that Mike wants it to be the two of them. He even says, oh, just the two of us. And Susan goes ahead and says, oh, well, Julie, too. You want your, like, (laughs) 10-year-old daughter there? What? Like, you're just making it worse for you. And then you're confusing him. When I say self-saboteur, that's exactly what I mean. Mike is kind of a himbo, but in the best way. Yeah. Like, after um, after Susan invited Julie to what he went in his house and went, I'm just Ken. <laughs> Where I see love, she sees a friend. Like, oh, I know my goodness. He wrote that song. Um, so then we get to... Detective Martha Hoover and Edie cleaning out the remnants of her house. Again, Susan's just living life like she didn't burn this house down. She's completely fine with it. She's just concerned as to how she's going to make Mike the new father of her child. (laughs) Her world's about to be rocked. She doesn't know it. I will say Martha. So my note here says Martha Huber is rat. But she did have an (laughs) iconic line where she said to Edie, you can be homeless or ungracious. You can't afford to be bold. <laughs> she is on this earth to uncover mysteries and humble Edie Britt. She is the entirety of Mystery Incorporated rolled into she one. She is. I'm kind of starting to fall for her a little. I'm like, wait, maybe she's not that bad. She's enchanting me. I, retra- <laughs> I retract my Martha Huber hate. Um, I, I do stand by my point that Martha Huber is rat. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote down Martha Huber in everyone's business once again, and then Edie yelling at Martha, period. Right. (laughs) Right. And, you know, I would watch a spinoff of just Edie and Mrs. Huber. I really would. Same. And it's wild that she just sees this measuring cup and he's like oh that wasn't mine and she goes how did it get in your house well she's, she's the like, only I, I don't person know. thinking outside the box this entire yeah time. yeah because Edie's like oh, i don't know but i mean fair like at some point somebody could have brought it over like sure. you know she's been living in that house for a while but your, your house just randomly burns down wouldn't you like think about it a little and martha's like I mystery mystery ink like I'm gonna put this together and I'm gonna solve it in her basement like how Mike has it too like all the the maybe that wasn't Mike's his little clippings and everything like Martha also has that because she on her own is trying to uncover mysteries I I can absolutely support um well I support women's rights but I also support women's wrongs when it comes to Mrs. Hoover I feel like she wants to get to the bottom of everything. It's for her own self-satisfaction, but to her credit, she's the only one doing it. 
Exactly. Nobody else is putting like, in the work. Where are the cops? Where are the cops of the Eagle State with Syria Lane? Right, right. Mike is trying to solve some other mystery. They should have just teamed up. Do they at some point, actually? That's going to be in my next fanfic. Okay, because I don't remember if they do. Oh, no, he teams up with, with, with Felicia later. I am going to put my fanfiction on the Patreon. So if anybody's interested in reading these two stories, one is... Uh, Gabby and Brie going to see the Barbie movie. And the other is the dynamic duo of Mike, Lord Mike Delfino and Lady <laughs> Martha Huber. <laughs> Lord and Lady Detectives at your service. Oh, yeah. It's elementary, my dear Delfino. <laughs> elementary. Brie walking into the marriage counselor is hysterical. She is all bright eyes, big smiles. Hi. <laughs> So funny. I think they're not there for a terrible reason. <laughs> and then when he goes, Brie, you're just making small talk, and Rex has been listing off all the problems. I was like, go off. She's a perfect. Again, she unfortunately loves the patriarchy, and she, she doesn't want to stop. So I don't understand. Right. Is Rex a feminist? God, no. Well, <laughs> well okay so if we were going to rank the desperate housewives husbands or boyfriends or men in order of feminism uh i can say carlos would be at the bottom dead last tom is probably just above carlos because he thinks women are just <laughs> baby making buckets <laughs> he's not even in this episode he's, right right thank so, god not even he's not here we're not tom scavo lovers just yet doug savant you are welcome on the podcast anytime. <laughs> and then above tom is gonna be rex and then up top we're gonna have mike delfino because he knows yes. how to treat a woman wait so Bree's bribing the therapist blah 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 okay he's bribing him yeah with the gift basket she's like please oh, love yes, me and know yes. that i'm I'm right and my husband is wrong. I would be glad if Brie would bribe me because you know what? You know she cooks better than every She's an incredible chef. Yeah. She's an incredible chef. I would just make me anything. Anything. I would take scrambled eggs from her. Yes. And I know as a vegetarian, she first she would be really upset that I'm a vegetarian, but then she would come to terms with it. Right. And she would make me incredible meals. Well, you know she would see it as a challenge too. She would yes. be like, okay, great. What, what can I craft? out of my skill set and this vegetarian cookbook that I can make. She would have invited, she would have invented an impossible burgers in 2004. Yeah. I'm going to start spreading a rumor <laughs> that Brie Vandekamp created the impossible burger. You should Vandekamp. And then two men took her idea and ran with it. This fictional character, Brie Vandekamp invented the impossible sounds burger. a lot like somebody else i know somebody like oh i don't know betty crocker i don't know what happened with betty crocker so she's a fictional woman okay <laughs> no she's a fictional woman and who's profiting off of her i don't fact men on this probably i don't know who runs i don't know who the ceo is but <laughs> I don't know who created her, but I, I can only assume that, you know, she Betty Crocker was created for the male gaze. 
Betty Crocker of Barbie and Brie Vandekamp need to all start a revolution. That's my third fan fiction on the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the Avengers. no 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 oh my god and they all meet at barbie's dream house i'm crying i think it should be led by weird barbie (laughs) yeah kate mckinnon i just wrote lynette monster kids in the car and a cab yes i wrote i feel so bad for lynette in the car but when she gets out to to confront the cop it is hilarious. She goes off on him. When Mary Alice says he had, what does he say? He's, she had never come it's in contact years. with a uh, life-threatening situation until he met Lynette Scavo. I was like, exactly. Don't tell a woman how to raise her kids. Especially not Lynette Scavo. Especially not Lynette. Like, this man probably goes home to his dumb kids all asleep. And he wakes up before they wake up and gets home before they go to bed. You don't even know your kids. Right. Don't go after Lynette Scavo. He no. doesn't know his kids' names. Do you know their names? Tom probably can't name his kids either. No, but it's it's messed up because you know Tom picks out the names and then doesn't That's remember true. them. And then doesn't remember them. He's like, is that what Porter Preston Parker? The way I know all of them. <laughs> Porter Preston Parker Penny. Isn't there somebody else? Other- yeah, they come later though. Right. So right Kate now sort of messed that up, didn't she? Porter Prester Parker Penny. Porter Prester. Tom can't say that. He goes Porter Parker Peter Paul. <laughs> like he doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't know. Um, and Lynette bears the burden of driving them everywhere because Tom is never home. Yeah. And you know, if Tom spent twenty minutes in a car, eight minutes in a car with his children. He would see the struggle Lynette goes through every single day. I think she needs to drug them. She should do like what they did in the 50s. She's going to give them gabapentin. I don't know what that is, but if it's sleeping pills, yes. It's for cats. What? (laughs) It's for cats. Cat drug. Why do do you give that to Blanche? I had to when she got groomed. So then we get to Gabby going to John's house. I wrote, Gabby goes to John's house, tells her he has to do his job. I would also be disappointed if the person I was sleeping with, <laughs> that I had to start working instead of um, not. John having a loose peanut butter and jelly sandwich in his room is crazy. I did not notice that. Yeah, she moves it out of the way. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, what can you expect? He's like a 17-year-old boy, but it was just out in the open. It's hysterical. It's kind of the chain of prostitution, if you think about it. Tell me more. Carlos gives Gabby presents, and then Gabby technically pays Carlos, or sorry, pays John. Right. Well, she's keeping the ecosystem going. Exactly. And then John goes to high school, and maybe he thinks that's normal. So he goes up to girls and he says, I'll give you $50. <laughs> oh boy. You don't know what goes on in a young mind. Especially not in 2004. Things were different then. 
it, it's not even that long ago. It's almost 20 years, but it was such a different time. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny how that is reflected and it's not in this show, because I do think Desperate Housewives is timeless. Agreed. It's kind of the same, but with no technology. Like, I hate how shows today, they're, like, texting. It's, like, fine to be on a, on a call, but when they do, like, text bubbles, like, it. we don't, I don't need to see that. That doesn't translate well. <gasps> Even I Holy don't. shoot. I don't know what that is. Christy? What? Come on. Oh, my God. I have no idea what that is, but I have to get rid of it. Oh, my God. Summer just had a panic attack over a flying cockroach in her apartment and it's very warranted to be honest i'm moving out of new york city tomorrow i would have i would have burned down my apartment take the whole building i don't know how you knew that that's what it was but that's the only thing i can imagine that it is so all right thanks for um your patience barbies barbies (laughs) and Kens. sorry barbies um (laughs) So, uh, I wrote down Brie has undiagnosed OCD (laughs) because she's trying to fix the therapist's button. Right. You think he would be like, hey, Brie, you have OCD. Well, he's he's still just getting to know her, and he doesn't know what's going on in her head of, like, she needs to fix that thread. Yeah. Um, My note for this scene is Rex is mad that Brie is pleasant. Because he's listing off what's wrong with her. And he, he goes, she's so pleasant. How dare you? No, he's disgusting and vile. Stephen Culp, please come on the podcast. <laughs> please, sir. I just don't understand. Like, what do you want then? Because in patriarchy, this is what they want. A woman to just serve them. And then he has that and he's upset. He has what every other man. That's why I think he might be a feminist. Right. He's like, I'll make. So what if she said, okay, you make your own dinner. Oh, he would. What would he say? What would he say? Now he has to do the work. No, he, he doesn't want to do the work. He just wants the work done differently. Yeah. He just wants a burnt, burnt toast for breakfast. (laughs) So you want carcinogen toast? He wants it on a paper plate. the, The monster. He hates this earth. <laughs> so he, he is wants to destroy the rainforest. But he's anti. He he he's a global climate change denier. But I don't know if he's because he doesn't. He definitely doesn't respect women, right? But he doesn't want them <laughs> to. It's a very. I don't really understand where he's coming from. Like I, I I don't. <laughs> I don't know because he doesn't respect women, but he also doesn't want them to serve him. What do, I I don't know what he wants. He needs to be a little more explicit about that. Yeah, like he just doesn't want her being perfect. Right. He wants so he's saying that he wants a real woman, but then when that is given to him, what would his tune be? Would he change his tune? No. Right. I just want flashbacks of Brie burning the toast. And laughing. You used to laugh and you used to burn the toast. She's she's never laughed in the 15, 16 years they've been married. Um, No, I will say that that's actually going to be 
in chapter two of my fan fiction where Brie and Gabby go to see the Barbie movie, like we are going to get the flashback to Brie burning the toast. We're going to get a couple Brie flashbacks. Um, so just you wait. Yes. Like when she's talking to America Ferreira, that's when we get all the flashbacks. Right. Right. Amazing. I can't wait for this. Um, then I wrote down John loves Gabby, LOL. So I think that's when he gives her the rose and she's like, yikes. She knows where this is going. We've all been there. Yeah. Yeah. But also, you know, going to the, it's one thing when she's at her house and the $23,000 table, but like you go to a teenager's room, aren't you a little like, "Mm, this is a little strange. She's desperate. No pun intended. That is her moment of desperation. Right. right. She doesn't care. Like when she flips the photo down of him as a kid, which oh, was yes. taken, like, what, five years before? Yeah. I was like, Gabrielle. I mean, of course, he, he doesn't have a mature mind, so he's not going to be able to discern what the truth is from what his fantasy is. You know, they, they bleed into each yeah. other, and he thinks one thing, and it's really the complete opposite. It is just no strings attached. He's very squishy-brained. Yeah. He's just a squishy brain 16-year-old. 17. I think that's redundant. Fair. So then I wrote down, hey, sorry about your house. <laughs> so I think that's when Susan and Mike are talking about their plans and Edie goes comes by and Mike just goes, hey, sorry about your house. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not for nothing, but like Edie is... <sighs> Edie is so frustrating. And as somebody who has watched this show numerous times, I still find myself being like, just leave Susan and Mike alone. Just let them have their nice little relationship. And the line, oh, Edie's definitely a carnivore, is just so perfectly placed, perfectly timed. She's so Ariana Grande. (laughs) She's so Raquel. Ediana Grande? Ediana Grande. That's her. (laughs) I also did write down in all caps, Susan feels no remorse because Edie and Mike, Mike's like, hey, sorry about your house. And the Mary Alice is like, Susan knew what was coming next. And he looks at her like, come on, like we should invite her. Her house, her house just burned down, which is very fair and a nice thing to do because Mike is on top of the feminist chain. Right. Mike is pure. Mike is pure. So that was just like, you know, nice. Like, and I don't think he thought it was a date because she invited Julie. So he was like, that's, that's true. And, I'm just Ken. And whose fault is that? Oh, Susan's, you Susan's know, fault. I don't know if you noticed this, but Edie gets significantly dragged throughout this whole episode because we get the line. Oh, Edie's definitely a carnivore. And then in the very next scene, we have Martha Huber saying Edie's a beggar now. <laughs> But also, if you just burn somebody's house down, I I could think of a list of enemies I have. And if I burned their house down, huh? Nothing. (laughs) I would still feel bad and I would try to like do things for them because I have empathy. I think Susan truly lacks all empathy. Like she was more stressed out over... Edie coming to the dinner than she was about the house burning down. Well, yes. And part of the reason for that is that Susan is genuinely so 
selfish. Like she does think that yes. the world revolves around her and narcissistic her mother. Fault. Yeah, I think I think that is her Achilles heel is that and and they all do this to a degree. Even somebody like Gabby, I want to say, but Susan is the epitome to me of thinking that the wait, is it like the sun the earth rotates around the sun or the sun rotates around me? <laughs> the <I> just... <laughs> no, no, the earth spins. The earth the spins. earth the earth turns around the sun. Right. And she's not the sun, but she thinks she is. Yes. Sorry, I can't remember um, fifth grade you, science class. You, what is that line from? You are not the sun. What is that from? You're asking the wrong person. That's a quote from something. Um, oh, I know what you mean. You know, there's like, so what movie is it? Desperate Housewives super fans, please tell <laughs> me. What is it from you? Ah, is it the Lizzie McGuire movie? <gasps> yes, he is not the sun. That is, that's it. Yes, okay. yes. Okay, great. Whew, I can sleep. I can sleep Whew. at night. Um, so, she, I, I don't know. She's just, no, she's no empathy. Poor Julie. Julie I see why Carl, just kidding. I actually do really like Susan. But now that I'm like looking at her through these this lens, I'm like, girl, wait a minute. Right. Well, it's it's not giving Julie any solid kind of um, example to be set for her. You know, she's already got Carl for a father and that's one thing. <laughs> but then for Susan to make everything about her, like even Julie's Trojan horse was about her. Julie's raising herself. <laughs> yeah. She's she's giving latchkey kid. What is latchkey kid? It's like when you know nobody's around, like nobody's home. You have to get into the house yourself. You're taking care of yourself. Wow, <laughs> that was <laughs> that was me. You're a latchkey adult. <laughs> My mom's gonna listen to this and she's gonna call me and go, "You are not a latchkey kid." <laughs> God. Stop it. Okay. Uh, Jennifer Christie's bullying me. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter's a bully. <laughs> Why don't you put it in the trash along with your purse? accidentally raised a bully <laughs> she did everything she could but you still turned out this way why christy why did you tell summer to put it in the trash <laughs> where it belongs now thinking back out of context <laughs> oh god it was all in good fun um Let's see. So the next thing I wrote down was Martha is now in Lynette's business. How is she everywhere? <laughs> right. She's she's everything everywhere all at once. I think like every time she shows up, I hear dun 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 dun. <laughs> I do think Mrs. Huber has a clone of herself. And that's actually gonna be my fourth fan fiction because she <laughs> is just able to be in any place at any time. She has learned how to split the atom, and she is in everybody's home she is there she's the smartest person in the world she's a scientist yeah women in stem (laughs) (laughs) 
She's asking Lynette for clothes, right? So she's like, Edie's a beggar now. Like, she can't afford clothing. <laughs> so she needs to wear everybody else's, like, secondhand stuff. And she's the one who gives Lynette the idea to leave her kids on the road when they're misbehaving. Because her mother did it to her, and she said, I never made that mistake again. But then she also admitted to putting her mother in a home. I wrote down Martha's mom should have left her there. <laughs> See how she would have fared yeah um i i think this was also martha's line although i could be wrong where she said edie may be trash but she's still a human being <laughs> that's martha yeah yeah i can hear that in her voice edie may be trash but she's still a human being <laughs> yes exactly so edie is just getting completely dragged like wiped on the floor in this episode and she doesn't even all, know it all for why what has Edie ever done to these people is what I want to know all she does is steal their men but so does Ariana Grande <laughs> I don't know what she did specifically to Mrs. Huber but we know what she's well that's her person. best friend right I I do kind of like ship them as friends um I don't know if it's technically canon that they are besties I think they say it at some point she says Edie's my best friend. Oh, well, that's actually a little sad because I think Edie is somebody who has to keep everybody a little bit at a distance just in case she starts to need something from them. And then when the time comes, she sort of snaps that trap and, and she, she doesn't reveal too much of herself, I think. I think she just mm -hmm. gives the world, you know, what she wants them to see. The same as all of the others do, but in a different way. Yeah, and... I feel as if it can be rather hard for Martha Huber to really make friends with all the women on the lane, especially since the core four here didn't know much about their other best friend, Mary Alice Young. That's true. And if they're not going to bother to get to know Miss Brenda Strong, AKA Mary Alice Young, <laughs> what, what impetus do they have to get to know Mrs. Huber? Yeah. She's just an annoying little rat. Right. She's just like, Peter Pettigrew. <laughs> She's giving Peter Pettigrew. Wait, my, my first crossover fic is going to be um, Martha Huber and Peter Pettigrew. <laughs> Ship. <gasps> Martha Huber sees a rat run across her, her house and she feels like I need to take care of it. So she traps it and puts it in a cage. Yes. And then the next day she wakes up and it's it's a man. Peter Pettigrew. It's a, man. <laughs> it's a whole man. Peter Pettigrew's in her basement. That's Please. why she needs to keep everybody, like she needs to know everybody else's business so they stay away from her. Christy, I'm getting a little invested in this storyline. <laughs> you can help me write it. This is what we in the fan fiction community would call a crack fic. <laughs> it's when you just seem like you're high writing it. <laughs> Okay, Susan is talking to Paul with his scary chest over there. Right, this is where I have the note that he doesn't do anything to make himself seem normal. Yeah. And he really, he holds a grudge, you know? He's the one who said he will never forgive her for abandoning her husband and son. And I think like that was there to be like, oh, he's terrible. And she's like, oh my God, I can't believe you'd say that. But I think that's a valid 
point of that's a stage of grief i'm only human (laughs) (laughs) like his wife just unalived herself like i think that for like a moment he can be okay to be upset with her about it right and he is feeling that's normal he's experiencing the wide range of human emotions and he's he's probably taking on what everybody else you know, should be feeling. So since Mary Alice's friends don't give a lick about what happened to her, mm-hmm. like he's feeling it extra. He's getting double or triple what he should be feeling. Paul Young's an empath. <laughs> so me, Paul Young, as an empath, I just, I take on everybody else's problems. Yeah, he's taking up everybody's problems on the lane. Of course, he, that's a man with a grudge. Of course. He'd make I'm a terrible team, therapist for that Team reason. Paul Young all the way, baby. Somebody who's watching this show for the first time is going to be like, why does this girl like Paul Young so much? Oh my God, he's horrible. She's she's not going to understand until season eight. Yeah. Like she has to get through the whole show to be like, you know what? I feel, I feel for him now. I can't wait. I, in five years, Christy, we're going to, we're going to nail that episode. I actually did the math and we're going to be doing this for only three and a half years. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> buy our merch um <laughs> i wrote down martha now in susan's business and going through her groceries yeah because again she's just going around getting clothes for edie and she's interrogating julie and she's she's just going through susan's groceries for for no reason she has absolutely zero reason to be doing this and she sees a new um measuring cup Mrs. Hoover is the kind of person who steals other people's mail. And it's not even like the good mail. It's like the St. Jude like request for charity donations. I'm pretty sure that's canon. Like I feel like we've seen her do that. Probably. Is go through But you know that's mail. a criminal offense. It's a felony to steal people's mail. Well, maybe as a detective and a woman in STEM, mm-hmm. they won't get her. They'll overlook it. Yeah. But so she, she somehow, honestly, she's the smartest person on the lane. She connects a new measuring cup with arson. I, I don't know how she put two and two together, why she would think Susan would have a motive, but obviously she's right. She is right. And it's just a testament to her character and to her, her brain. The, her mind is just so... <laughs> she connects the dots this woman probably plays so much sudoku that she is just like her brain is pulsating in her head at all times a big brain Martha <laughs> Hooper. she did what the fbi never could yeah if we had her on the fbi we would have so many cases so there would be no open cases <laughs> john we would, would know be solved i was just about to say that the brain cell at work. I was just about to say we would know what happened to John Manarosmi. I don't know where I don't know. Where, I don't know where <laughs> we would know what happened to John Manarosmi. <laughs> John Manarosmi. John Ben. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually said her name out loud, so now I realize I don't know how to say it. John. John. Yeah, so she finds the measuring cup and 
Julie's a little put off by it. Julie knows that Mrs. Hoover is a little bit nosy. Um, and she wants to get her out of the house, clearly. Because Julie's a smart 10-year-old. Julie, huh? Julie's a smart 10-year-old. She's a smart kid. I think she's older. I think she's 12. I think... Oh, she might... She's definitely older. She's, like, maybe 12 or 13. I thought in the pilot, Susan said something to her about being in fifth grade. I don't... I don't remember. In fairness... Maybe they aged her... They probably aged her up a little bit. Okay, After. Listen, I don't think Mark Cherry is really, like, known for his math skills. Because we know what happens with the five-year time jump. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Juanita is, like, going off to college by the end of those years, too. (laughs) Like, she starts out, she's five, and then she's, like, she's fully in high school, I swear. Yeah. Make it make But I, but also at this point, when you would make a pilot, you wouldn't know if it was going to get picked up or not. So a lot of it, like we kind of said before, like a lot of it was probably different. So by the time, like this was really their first episode of like, okay, we're making this whole series. So they probably had to make a little bit of an adjustment. um, I can forgive that. Film it right away. It sometimes makes me hurt. Like when we get to the five-year time jump, I'm going to just have a lot to say at that point. Definitely. And I think, cause also in season two, Julie's like, she's a teenager. Right. So she's definitely probably like 12 or 13 here. Okay. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. Um, so then we have Susan and Gabby. Yeah. So Susan for the first time is taking an interest in somebody other than herself, but it's only to get a little gossip. You know, she wants the on D and that for her is, oh, John, John give you a rose? Like, that's so crazy. What do you do that for? And Gabby, nice save, my girl, says it's about a color palette for a new rose bush, which is just She's such smart so thing. smart. Yeah. She is such a cheater. Like, she knows, she knows what to say. She knows how to hold her, her affairs. Like, I can't be mad at it. So then we get to Brie sewing gold farb jacket is all I wrote down. Yes. I'm sure Freud would not approve of this. I wrote that Brie's speech at the marriage counselor is so real. This is her America Ferrera Barbie moment. I wrote down Brie is a feminist icon. We have the same brain. Um, so between, um, so Brie saw Barbie between uh, their last two meetings. Right, that's from the like she's connected. Place. She's connected. Gabby took Gabby took Bree to see to see Barbie. Right. And she's she's in. Um and I also wrote down we hate Freud. Well he can't keep getting away with this. And I think we've obviously known that since 2004 and prior to 2004. But even now to this day we are still saying we have to stop proving Freud right. Exactly. He's one man. And why are we taking psychological advice from a man is what I don't really understand. A white man? No! (laughs) That was really, really terrifying and on point. (laughs) Like it's giving that's hot. It's living. 
Hey, it's Paris Hilton. You should all be listening to We Are Going to Tell. It is the best Desperate Housewife podcast out there. I love it. I'm a listener. I'm cutting this for TikTok and doing a deep fake. Just so you know. <laughs> Not AI, just talent. Just deep fake. Listen, I'm no psychologist, but it's so obvious what the problem is here. It's Rex. <laughs> it's Rex. It's feeling unappreciated as a mother because her children never say thank you. That's that's the crux of it. It's like she just wants a little recognition for what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And she fully turned Dr. Goldfarb because he was all, I love Freud. And then at the end, he was like, I'm going to call my mommy. And Freud, we actually don't like Freud anymore. Right. Like she, Brie deserves a doctorate, I think. So Lynette leaves the kids on the side of the road. And I came to a stunning realization when we were watching Lynette's kids on the side of the road, because I thought, what are Porter and Preston doing today? Let's get them on the podcast. So I went on IMDb to see how old they are, what they're up to. And they were in Cheaper by the Dozen. No way. (laughs) No way. I had no idea. I didn't know that when I said that. The great Mm -hmm. thing about Porter and Preston is that their mother, Lynette, um, is readily able to admit that she has anger issues. Because once that strange woman takes her kids into her house, when Lynette goes driving back for them, doesn't see them and freaks out, she is very open with the fact that, yes, I have four kids under the age of six. I definitely have anger issues. She's of so any, self-aware. Anyone would. Yes. Yes, anyone would. But Lynette is totally self-aware, and I admire that. No, she's amazing, and she's kind of the unsung, unsung hero of this show. Absolutely. And the lady who... Okay. Ta- Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you go. The lady who takes in Parker and Preston and the other one, she has some... <laughs> she made me so mad i haven't felt that viscerally angry in a while go on i was too shocked watching this about cheaper by the dozen that i didn't really like comprehend this so please go on well i don't actually know her name but she brings in lynette's three peas the three boys and she starts telling lynette similar to the cop i might add how to raise her friggin' children How about we don't do that, okay? How about we let Lynette Scavo do the only thing she knows how to do? If she, I'm telling you this, Christy, if Lynette Scavo started her own business and employed those little monsters, she could whip them into shape because she knows how to be a boss. She, at at this point, she's struggling to be a mother, but she knows how to be a boss. Period. Period, point blank. The man. Lynette would love Barbie. She actually went to the movie as well. She did. She resonated with President Barbie, I think. Right. And she, so she didn't go with Gabby and Brie. Um, She had to go by herself. She went by herself, but they happened to be at the theater at the same time. And Lynette Mm -hmm. already had a spot in the back. This was like a rare moment when she could get away from the kids. Like Tom came home for 30 minutes and she was like, I'm going to go see this movie real quick. And she was in the back with her, like, large popcorn that she didn't have to share with anybody. It was her only two hours of reprieve that entire month. Okay? So 
I know we're like messing with the timeline a little bit, but the Barbie movie out in 2004, still starring Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, Lynette is there with her large popcorn. She's so glad that she doesn't have like eight other hands digging into it. And then um, Brie is very adamant on sitting in like the, the very front row because she likes the feeling of her neck being stiff and looking up at the screen. And Gabby says, <laughs> that is so real. Gabby says, we're not doing that. And Gabby brings them to like, I want to say a solid row G, like either row F or G, mm-hmm. orchestra, you know, like center of the row. And um, I don't know which snacks they got. I think Brie gets a small popcorn because she knows it's the standard movie snack. And by the end, she's like, I got to get some snow caps because she's feeling so inspired. I have nothing to retort. That was beautiful. <laughs> that was you. really beautiful. And it changed all of them. It changed them all. Who can say if I've changed for the better? But do you know who didn't go see the Barbie movie? Susan. Susan. <laughs> Susan Meyer. Susan was too busy trying to destroy Edie Britt more than she already has. Right. Right already taking out all of her belongings and everything that she owns. She said, I don't need to learn about feminism. She said women tearing down other women. (laughs) So then we get to Carlos buying Gabby a car just for fun. Yes. And John looks on in just sad, wistful longingness. That made me really sad because he was like, I only got her a rose, but she appreciated the rose even more than the car. And he doesn't even know that. I have trouble feeling sympathy for John. I don't know why. Really? I felt really bad for him. Like, he's just a stupid little teenager. He doesn't know what he's getting himself into. Again, redundant. He thinks this 30-year-old woman's in love with him. And he just, like, looks on and he's like, I'll never be rich and cool like Carlos. But he doesn't know that Carlos is so mean right now. And John also has plenty of time to get rich and hot. Exactly. And we will see him do that. Yeah. Yeah, we will. I love see John come up. Jesse Metcalf, you are welcome on the <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please, Jesse there's, there's a little moment of intercutting between Susan and Bree. And once we get back to the marriage counselor's office, the counselor sets Rex straight. He laces into him just as he should. And you know, it's funny because we talk about is Rex a feminist or not? And... He doesn't listen when Bree talks, <laughs> but he listens when the marriage counselor talks and says the same thing that Bree said. That's a good point, right? When um, a man <laughs> tells him tells him anything, he listens. Yeah, make it make sense. He Rex, we're declaring it right now, everybody. Rex Vandekamp is not a feminist. He hates women, period, point blank. <laughs> Rex Vandekamp, woman hater. Rex Vandekamp, woman hater. 2023. 2020, 2004. 2004 to 2023. Now we find ourselves at dinner with Mike, Edie, Susan, and Julie. Slay. And it turns into a bit of a cat fight. But Edie doesn't realize, and I, my note here is, Edie is a snake because she specifically says, oh, I just know that you and Carl are going to get back together, Susan. I've never seen two people so in love. So I think Edie's a snake for doing that. She knows she's a snake for doing that. But what Edie doesn't anticipate 
is that Susan has a secret weapon and it's called 10 to 12 year old Julie. 12 to 14 year old Julie, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And Julie just goes, what about all your ex-husband? Like she's playing 10 year old. She's like, the guy with the tattoos or the other guy or the other guy. Your fourth husband? (laughs) No, no, Julie. They weren't all her husband. She's like, oh, I didn't know that. I thought you had to be married to go into some man's house. <laughs> yes, yes. Julie is giving Judy Garland in that moment. Um, just complete <laughs> doe-eyed, like, so smart. Yup, yup, that's the look. That's the, you look so Mrs. Nice Britt. Right <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Mrs. Britt. Mrs. Britt, I thought you'd been married so many times. I thought you'd get married every day and see a different man in your house. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Britt. But I feel bad for Mike in this moment because he's so confused. He meets this woman at a funeral who he's like, oh, my God, she really likes me. And then he's like, oh, my God, she's asking me out on a date, but then invites his do- the daughter. So he's like, okay, she doesn't like He's getting me. mixed signals. He's getting so many mixed signals. And then he's at dinner hearing about how much she loves her ex-husband. Right. And he's like, oh, my God, there's no chance for me. So what does Susan expect? Susan. Susan. Susan just likes to keep the drama going. Mike is the only man on this show right now that should be protected. I would do anything for Mike Delfino, okay? Michael Jordan Delfino, I would do anything for you. Tell him... (laughs) Tell him that Susan needs to listen to tell him. Tell him that the sun and moon rise in his eyes. Reach out to him. Okay, Christy, save some singing for the Patreon. You're right. I'm so sorry, everybody. You didn't hear that. It's also copyrighted. <laughs> uh, then I wrote down Susan Earring fiasco. She puts meat, meat juice in her ear oh because bongo the dog hates susan and loves Edie. yes um and that would be a red flag for me maybe Bongo's just allergic to narcissists probably <laughs> that might be it he said this is this woman has a narcissistic personality disorder and i don't want her around can't blame him and Edie has other mental illnesses, but he doesn't <laughs> a care. A slew of them, but Bongo's like, I can look past all of that. <laughs> so then Susan's like, okay, I'm going to put meat juice next to my ear. So then Bongo's like licking her face. And I'm like, that's a little, that's bad. No, that's no, gross. dog saliva has healing properties. Really? Yeah. Why do you think Jeffrey Star makes all of his dogs lick his face? I didn't know that. And I didn't need to know that. You're welcome. But... I don't know. I never liked even my tiny teddy dog. I didn't like dogs licking licking my face. Oh yeah, so no me either. Yeah, no me either. <laughs> but then he eats her earring, and he's like, he's choking. <laughs> yep, yep. This is my impression of Bongo choking. <laughs> Again, a little too good, a little too accurate. <laughs> Scarily accurate representation. When the strike is over, I have to get into like fully art and stuff. Um, and then Mike blames Susan for this, and yes, it's his her fault, and he can see it, but he doesn't know that she did that on purpose, right? So she's like, 
Mike, should I come with you? Should I come with you to the vet? And he's like, you've done enough. And then Edie just starts laughing. Edie wouldn't care if the dog died. I think she would. I disagree. I think Edie loves animals. Okay. Because she was really good with Bongo. I think she yeah, would care. She was good with Bongo because, like, she was using him as a as a tool. I think. I don't think you could fake that though. Like, if she really was like the one to hate dogs, she would be like, oh, "Hi, Bongo." Not. I taught Bongo a trick today. What did you do, Susan? <laughs> In her trick. Kill yourself. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> what did you make do? any mac and cheese lately? So funny. <laughs> yeah, no, but then we do get like that beautiful vet scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because then Susan does. She says, Mike doesn't want me around. I'm going to go anyway. And she goes to the vet to see how Bongo is doing, which was very nice of her. She thought about somebody other than herself. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yes. And she mm -hmm. does have that moment of selflessness where she realizes that Bongo is the only thing that Mike really has left of his um, dead wife. And mm -hmm. that. Yes, we learn about his dead wife. Mm -hmm. He's just a widow. And she really comes to terms with the fact that, oh, it's not my place to pursue him the way that I am or that she thinks she is while he is still in this very <laughs> precarious, you know, fragile state of mind. Yes. And then Mary Alice says she could settle for just being his friend. And that kind of lasts five seconds because I'm pretty sure in the next episode, she's pursuing him again. Yeah. <laughs> but it, the thought that counts yeah, for that moment for there. Susan. She's growing. And then we get back to Mike's house. Edie's being nice and cleaning up because she does think for other people. That's true. Um, and we see a stash of money and maps with the with everybody's face on it. I don't know how we got all these pictures. We also completely forgot last episode to talk about Mike getting home from the big fire and he's on the phone with somebody oh, and funny. has like a gun okay. that was pretty pretty important but we just left it out know, we're living and learning every day so sorry but yeah we don't know why he's a little shady and we already but... like mike is the thing so we yes. want to stay on his side whatever his yes. shady involvement is exactly so we don't care he could kill a man on fifth avenue mike <laughs> Delfino could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and I would still vote for him. Delfino 2024. Let's go, baby. Um, and then, oh, at some point we did, we skipped over this too, but um, Paul goes and throws the creepy chest in the river, right. and it sinks. It sinks but at the end. It comes back up because it's made of wood, so I don't know what he was expecting there. I think Paul was just like clouded by grief and couldn't make good decisions. Paul doesn't have a concept of physics. No, he doesn't. He needs to talk to Martha Hoover because um, a woman in STEM could teach him a, a little, a little about how to how to hide something. The irony of him want. talking to Martha Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then blackout. So that is our episode. What did you think about this episode? I did enjoy it. I felt like I 
I enjoyed it less than the pilot and I don't know why. I agree. I think looking like really like looking at it and taking notes, I was like, okay, it wasn't as strong as the pilot, but it was still like a pretty solid episode. It's also still so weird to watch this once a week. Yes. Maybe part of it, Christy, is that this episode has some really solid dialogue, some really funny mm-hmm. jokes, but there's less action than yeah. in the pilot. And we don't see, I like to see the girlies together yes. and have them have storylines together, which I don't actually think they do early on. I think we're just trying to learn who yeah. they are separately right. before you put them together. Um, and I would have liked to see some toxic Tom Scabo. Well, we'll, we'll I like get that him dynamic back. a lot. Toxic we'll Tom. get more. We'll definitely get some more toxic Tom. Please follow us on Instagram. We are going to tell and engage with us. Tell us how much you love us and our episode. Also, we're on TikTok. What what is our name on TikTok? We're going to tell Pod. Yeah, we're trying to get them both. So TikTok, if you're listening. CEO of TikTok, please give us the username we want. CEO of TikTok, we know you're a listener. And if you were a feminist, you would give us (laughs) the name. Um, Yeah, so follow us on Instagram, TikTok. Give us a five-star rating, please. And Give us five stars on Yelp. Give us five stars on Yelp, Spotify. We should be on Apple Podcasts soon. And come back next week for episode three. We hope you enjoyed. We'll see you next time. On We Know What You Did. It makes us sick. We're going to...